Hello, and welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda, I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? I'm doing all right. And Alice is joined by her co-host, Cass. How you doing, Cass? I am doing great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, We are here for a very special episode, which listeners, you will know because you saw the episode title that I'm going to give this once we finish recording, but... What is this? A crossover episode? You know, that gets funnier every time. You're being sarcastic, but I think it does actually get funnier every time. We are here today with the Shadowplay Gaze, another Utena podcast. Hello! Hello, I'm really impressed with the sound bites. No, I, I Chris, am too. <laughs> Christine, we gotta step it up. We gotta, I, we gotta we, get on this. We I'm gotta get so like a soundboard. I don't always have appropriate sound bites, but I did make that joke on Twitter, so I decided to get the sound clip and put it into my soundboard. Because, uh, Zencaster has a soundboard that I can upload things to, and I use it to do things like this. <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. Please. (laughs) So we're here for an episode of Friends Like That, a series where I ask people to come on my podcast because I think that they're cool. And today's guests are the Shadowplay Gays. Hello. And why don't you tell us who you are? Yeah, my name is Christine Palin. Uh, And I'm Derek Reining. Uh, and we are the Shadowplay Gaze. Uh, the titular. Like said, the titular, yes. And yeah, go ahead, roll the Ladybird clip. We, I know you got it on the soundboard. Okay. <laughs> I have this. <laughs> Does this help? Oh yeah, this works. Yeah, this is who we are. exactly what I was thinking. Yes, that's my favorite part of Ladybird right there. <laughs> yes, uh, so we are currently watching Revolutionary Girl Utena, not for the first time for either of us, but um, for the first time on air. And we are three, four episodes in now, Christine, something like that. We, yeah, we're, we just, we've released the well by the time this comes out we'll probably be three episodes in (laughs) i don't know when this is coming out but we've recorded for the first three episodes so we're just at the beginning of our rewatch right um and basically what we're doing is just watching through and um kind of doing a sort of spoiler free take on things just like as we watch the episodes we'll talk through the events and the symbolism and trying to interpret things and always always taking special note of choo-choo yes very important that gay little monkey Mm-hmm. I actually just on Yahoo Japan bought a it was a poster that was like a promotional material for the Sega Saturn game for Revolutionary Girl Oots and it has a bunch of pictures of Choo Choo on it and I'm very excited about that. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I need to get Choo Choo merch. We He's love this boy. <laughs> that Sega Saturn, is that the one that's like a visual novel? It's like a dating sim. It is oh. like part it it is like a dating sim visual novel type game uh you can do like different there are different paths in the game that you can take and like they depend on which character that you have leveled up the most or whatever through different interactions and it's actually it's really it is absurdly well made for an anime tie-in game i must (laughs) say like it has full animated opening sequence uh it's it's really good i highly recommend it i think there's 
there's at least one really good playthrough on YouTube that I have watched. And Alice and I have played it a little bit once before. And then a friend of ours and I streamed it over the course of several weeks. And we did like the jury route for the game. Of course. <laughs> As you should. Voted as the only route that. I would do. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, we actually, you guys are doing a spoiler free for your episodes, or at least no spoilers except for what you've covered so far. Mm-hmm. And we sort of did that because Alice had never seen Revolutionary Girl Utsuna before we started doing this show. And so she would watch each episode for like the week that we were going to record. And I would have to hold in all of my secrets. <laughs> Because uh, I had seen it once before, but so like, what is your what is you guys's history with Revolutionary Girl Utsuna? Like, how did you get into it, and how many times have you watched it? How long has it been since you first got into it, etc.? So my story is, um, so I grew up. I'm 25, and I the first show I ever like really got into was Sailor Moon. Like when Hell I was yeah. like five or six, that was like the first show I like fell in love with that I like stumbled upon on like Cartoon Network and just loved. And so I watched, I was like literally one of my like first shows. And then I never really watched much anime after that. I watched a couple shows in high school. Um, but then, you know, I, I never really got super into it. And then this past like February or March, I rewatched all of Sailor Moon because it's now on Hulu. Um, and I never seen like the the last season because I didn't, you know, that wasn't air dubbed in the US. And so I rewatched all of it and was just like, oh my God, this show's actually really good. And I it still like holds up for me and means a lot to me. 100%. Yeah. And I went and then and now returning to it as an adult, I like, I'm a nerd and I like to know everything about anything I'm into. Um, and so I started kind of reading up more about, you know, the behind the scenes stuff and the production stuff about Sailor Moon. And that led me to reading about Ikahara. And a friend of mine, my my college, freshman college roommate had recommended Utena to me years ago, and I never got around to watching it. And then when I kind of saw the Sailor Moon connection to Revolutionary Girl Utena, I was like, oh, I should watch this. So in like end of March this year, I watched the whole show for the first time. Oh, wow. So you were very fresh. So and then I watched it again in April. <laughs> with someone else because I wanted to show it to someone and then now I'm watching it for the third time I've lit this is like and I got a tattoo last month this show like oh my god what is your tattoo yeah so I can send you the picture I'm not gonna post it on our twitter because like it's it's, could be seen as a spoiler but it's I got the two uh Anthe and Atena's hands touching in the finale (gasps) and and it's just a black outline on my bicep um it's my first tattoo but like that shows you like how much this like show like reset my brain like it like I've when I watched the finale like in March I like sobbed hysterically for like half an hour and it like had a profound impact on me and and then while I was watching it for the first time I was Derek and I are Twitter friends and we were DMing about it um because he had already seen it so Derek if you want to give your story yeah, um, so uh, kind of like an opposite of Christine's situation where growing up, I mean, my brother and I would watch Dragon Ball Z on like Toonami when it came on, but that's about it. And then like, I want to say senior year of high school, I watched Neon Genesis Evangelion just out of the blue decided to do this. And then for the next, I want to say like five years of my life, just my whole personality was watching as much anime as I possibly could. <laughs> I say as I look over at my Fully Cooly wall scroll. 
And oh, so, yeah. yeah, so Uteno, I want to say, came into my life probably like midway through my anime journey. Like uh, when I first started, I kind of went through like the mainstays that most people watch. And then like Utena, for whatever reason, is kind of like still very indie despite being like around for a long time. And I feel like it's the one that everyone's heard of, but nobody's watched. Exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so um, but I feel like uh, like most people, um, the biggest proponents for it were my Tumblr lesbian friends. We were constantly just like pounding the drum, like watch the show. And finally I gave in um, and was immediately obsessed. I don't think I really like knew the word Lynchian at the time, but like, it was just like that sort of like high mindedness, like high mindedness, like high concept sort of symbolic stuff was just instantly like candy for my brain. I loved it. Didn't always understand what I was watching, but I enjoyed it. And then uh, I want to say, like not too much, like kind of like Christine, not much longer after I finished it, I just restarted. Um, so I believe we're both on our third rewatch now, but it's been years uh, for me. So it's a lot fresher for Christine. But yeah, so that's, I guess, my journey with it. Oh, and I was on Tumblr on the time, like I said. So um, if you look at my blog, I'm sure you'll find plenty of GIFs and edits I made um, back in the day. So yeah. One thing that you guys mentioned on your podcast is that you were both aware of the fact that there was a lot of like like Utena was known for its weird symbolism and maybe even being a little obtuse do you feel like that impacted your viewing experience the first time around for me yes because I I did kind of I didn't struggle with Utena at first but I did like the first like through the student council arc the first time I watched it's so funny talking about this. This is literally like two months ago. I feel like I've like aged so much. <laughs> Utena has that effect on you. <laughs> like my brain is like on another level now. But I was I was aware that it was this very symbolic and allegorical show. And at the first my first watch through, especially early on, I was really focused on trying to understand what it was what it meant and like what this all symbolized. Mm, and I kind of wasn't end. focusing as yeah as much on the characters and then once I hit the Black Rose arc it started to kind of click into place and I started like okay I I realized that the show what I love about the show it's that it's intentionally withholding information from you and and allowing itself to evolve on its own terms you know we don't get that critical exposition episode with the you know where we find out the truth about how Utena met the prince you know and like until like episode 30 or whatever and as I went along I realized that that's part of the conceit is that you you aren't supposed to understand it quote unquote understand it until you have the full picture so I definitely being aware of that at first kind of made it harder for me to get into it at first and now when I get my friends into it I'm just like just like take it in just like get to know these characters first and what's motivating them and then it'll all slide into place because for me that kind of like I I started overthinking it you gotta just ride the wave Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just vibe to it yeah the nature of Utena is it's one of those shows where it really commits to the idea of the characters have incomplete pictures of their own backstories to some extent and the characters there are characters who know things that like they don't really feel compelled to share with the audience. Mm-hmm. You don't You don't always get the opportunity to see everything that's in their heads. And when you do, it is kind of meant to kind of like shine a light back into the past. It's, it's part of why I think it's such a good show for a podcast in general, because it's great to do rewatches with. Because you're a rewatch, you're always looking back and going like, I've seen this once with, you have in, in your memory, like the experience of having watched it blind, and then you get to have 
a new experience with it with a completely different texture of like i know everything coming in now i know this is what this is this is what this is pointing to this is what this is pointing to this is why Anthe acts the way she does you know you've got all of these things in your head that you get to kind of you know have nestling in there and it kind of becomes a different show on the second or even the third watch because you're going to catch things you didn't catch on the first watch on the second one it absolutely I have not actually watched uh Utsna twice i've watched it once and i've rewatched a couple of episodes twice but i have not actually gone back to it yet we'll put a pin in that yeah i agree it almost reminds me of uh to draw a parallel to like uh western media like the leftovers was kind of like that for me a very similarly sort of out there uh show which i think uh like utena it's like they throw a lot of words at you or a lot of concepts at you and then they don't explain them they don't stop for any moment because they want you to feel like you are in this world no one's gonna stop and say oh well actually you know the like you said like this is why anthe is acting this way in this moment like we're just with these characters in this moment and we're getting the information pretty much at the same time that they are except except we are probably picking up on it more quickly than utina is because <laughs> himbo love <King>. girl <laughs> she is a himbo love her for that she is the lesbian himbo really and absolutely truly. i feel so honored <laughs> to have this representation utina <laughs> put all of her stats at character creation into basketball and absolutely none into detective well ball is life so clearly she's got something going on there She's got all, I mean, she's got a cavalcade of women who just worship her. So she's who got want her sweat. <laughs> exactly. Like she's got it going on. But yeah, like Christine, though, like I I knew what Utena was going to be like because I actually watched Penguin Drum first. Interesting. Um, so that like really colored my um, viewing of it. I was like, OK, so I kind of understand what this guy, this guy being like Ikuhara, like what his deal is. Um, so like, I guess I didn't go into it that like intent on solving the like puzzle in the beginning because penguin drum is like a similar trajectory where they just kind of throw you into the thick of it and just like slowly dole out information when it becomes relevant so i was able to more so enjoy the characters from the jump and enjoy the uh, nanami cow episodes without overthinking it which i think those are the epitome of no thoughts head empty episodes which is what we all need hi camp hi hi camp i have I my head is full of many thoughts and feelings about Nanami and her episodes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you watch those, then you can skip the rest of the series because it's all there. <laughs> you keep, keep coding. It is really and truly world revolutionary Nanami. Twenty page essay on the egg episode. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can uh, just watch the essay on the elephants. <laughs> they found the surfboards. <laughs> Uh, I normally ask this much earlier, but I definitely skipped over it. Uh, who is everyone's favorite character? Juri Arisagawa. <laughs> I, I kind of saw that one coming. Yeah, um, you can go ahead. Yeah, just pretend we said that in unison. Um, huge, huge, huge Juri fan. Um, I'd say um, Utena, though, probably is a very, very, Same. very, very close second. Yeah, like those two are top tier for me. I mean, I love, I have a lot of affection for everyone not named Sayonji or Toga on um, <laughs> the show. Even Akio? Um, oh, yeah, you forgot we, one, Derek. We don't even, um, <laughs> I don't utter his name. Up. No, we don't talk about that guy over here. Um, I, we just put out a, uh, it's a piece of merchandise for the podcast and it's an enamel pin that says 
Akio Otori Haters Club. Mm. Where can I purchase this this very instant? I will absolutely send you a link. Thank you. <laughs> Good. I need <laughs> that. Rules. We need that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those just basically, I like the little that little group that forms kind of at the end. I, I like to call them the badminton club since they're playing badminton there at the end together. Oh, um, I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's like that's I my crew. That. Yeah, love them. I once made the horrible mistake very early on to the show of saying that my favorite was Miki. He's mm. cute. He's a little twink. Well, now I it's just become part of Alice's brand. And uh, against my will, people continue. We, we all continue to make jokes. I, I have to include myself because I'm in on it too. Uh, continue to make jokes about uh, Mickey at Alice's expense. <laughs> so like by the end in the very end i i like mickey because it feels like he and that little core group of student council kids are gonna be okay but my actual favorite is utana because i i don't know i just i just kind of get her she's good she's good she's dumb she's pink she's pure of heart dumb of ass (laughs) and so kind-hearted what can you really ask for in a protagonist? She has a, a, a great uniform, and I'm a sucker for those. <laughs> what I love about Utena as a character, um, it's something I've been thinking about, is, is, again, the way the show kind of plays with genre expectations and the expectations of her being the protagonist. What the, for me, like, you know, I, I just love her. I adore her. I think she's so fun and so readable. But, like, what makes the back half of the show so intense and, and really got me i was remember messaging derek i was like oh shit this is like this is some heavy shit because the the first part of the show and this kind of like more like straightforward she's our hero she's the protagonist you're really not expecting her to be able to fall into what she falls into with akio and you i think it's so powerful that you get to know her first as strong and this hero and it kind of shows that like you know she anyone this can happen to like any girl you know, it's not a fault of someone who to be abused, to be like, you know, you have the show very much positions like Usina's hero and Anthea's victim in the first half of the show. But then, you know, as you get towards the end, it shows that, you know, again, all girls are rose brides. And I just think her characterization just is so like, oh, you're just heartbroken when it happens, but it just makes it so powerful because she's such a good character and yeah. she's so strong and strong willed and you just want to reach out and say stop but you understand why it's happening because that's how abuse happens it's how people are manipulated mm-hmm. i absolutely agree and i like all of that and also just on top of it that the shot that i always think of when i think of the show is um when all those like just that storm of like swords just like flying overhead and you just see utena just like still pushing up trying to get up to help Anthe. like that to me is the image of the show like this girl just always always gets up no matter what love her love mm-hmm. her so good <laughs> yes my favorite is nanami because i have something wrong with me deeply <laughs> she's so no she's like one of the m- most interesting characters on the show like point blank 
She's so funny. I do hard agree because I do think that she is just such a fascinating element of the show. And every time that someone says that the Nanami episodes are filler, I start foaming at the mouth. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about the cow episode because I was just like discoursing about this. Was <laughs> I've been like thinking to about this today. But like, you know, it, it is like, you know, it is a fun episode and it is weird. And the, the imagery that typically accompanies Nanami episodes is very bizarre. But you think about the cow episode, like... Nanami's whole deal is that she has no like internal sense of self. Um, she defines herself across other people, notably her brother. And, you know, it makes sense that she wearing a cowbell, everyone telling her she looks like a cow, she would become a cow because she has no sense of self because she only defines herself through the way other people view her. And so the, you know, even these like funny episodes are like really like interesting, like looks into the psyche of a 13 year old girl who's like, only she only knows how to play certain roles um based on what's expected of her as a 13 year old girl yeah for sure i i love nanami and those episodes are fantastic calcian dior need that in my life you know they made a real calcian <sighs> dior cowbell oh they again. are absurdly hard to get a hold of <laughs> i have been trying <laughs> um Wow, you're just making my Amazon wish list grow and grow as you <laughs> I keep have talking. A problem, and that is uh, impulse control. <laughs> but yeah, like Christine was saying, like Nanami is so invested in what other people think of her, and it's because of her age. I think that's something that kind of gets lost because Nanami, like the way the characters are drawn, she looks pretty similar in age to everyone else, but she is still like the youngest of the cast, and she may like talk. Like in Ojo-sama, like she acts like very, like she's mature and she's the exact opposite. It reminds me a lot of Asuka from Evangelion in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just like two characters who like really, 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 really want to be an adult and they just are not. And they really struggle with that. And I, it's just like so sad and compelling. But uh, I can't really say the same for Asuka. But like we said, Nanami, I, like you think, you can think, yeah, she's going to be okay. Like at the end. They've all kind of worked through their stuff there at that point. Um, and it sucks that she it's not in the movie. Well, and I think part of like, I think she's going to be okay even more than I think that a lot of the other members of the student council are going to be okay because like she is one of the only ones who really starts to like, like you, you actually see her having this realization about everything going on starting with like her walking in on Anthony and Akio and sort of realizing the actual logical conclusion of this type of relationship that she has been coveting from somebody else and that sort of opens up her entire worldview to realizing that a lot of this dual shit is bullshit <laughs> Yeah, she's had the curtain pulled back from for her in a way that the other student council members have haven't yet. Like, yeah. you know, they're all making their their progress and their personal journeys. Like, you know, juries, you know, the locket breaks. You know, she's, you know, able to kind of let go of at least a little bit of this image of Shiori. And you know, you see all these other characters have their, their progress, but no one's really had again the curtain pulled back from them in the same way as Nanami. And she also, it's I find it so funny, like Nanami towards the end of the series after she sees that, and she just goes around calling everyone stupid, but like she won't tell anyone what she saw. She's kind of like, you need to figure it out for yourselves, which I think is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we think that's why she's not in adolescence? Is because she really doesn't have much to work on, like the rest no. of them still do? Yeah, she just left. 
Yeah. Nami just just there's like the, the share zone meme where it's like you can just leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense to me. That just like kind of clicked for me because I do know infamously Ikuhara did say like when he was asked why Nanami's not in it, he said to piss off Nanami fans. Um, <laughs> so I just always took him at face value, which is always a big mistake. Yeah. I mean that was also probably an additive. <laughs> it could be a little column A, little column yeah. A. Yeah. So I have a question. Can I give my favorite character vote to an arc, or can I, or do I have to pick one person? Only if you say Black Rose Saga. No, uh, not even close. Uh, the uh, a, a character development arc, mm, I should specify. Yeah. Okay. Mm, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. All right. Mm, I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Thank my gavel. The record, because I have a thing for the uh, the pining best friend trope, and Wakaba does that like twice. Yeah. Oh, Wakaba. But if I have to, if I could give it to a favorite piece of character writing in the series, with, with the caveat that um, follows are not endorsements in this case. Oh boy. Toga and Sayonji actually get one of my favorite conclusions of any set of characters in Utena. Becoming a JoJo character is a pretty good way to go. <laughs> <laughs> because specifically, the one thing I think they really both get to do is... Toga and Sayanji both kind of have a dark night of the soul toward the end of the series where they realize, to some extent, they've kind of internalized, like, we do screwed up things. And when they have their final duel with Utena, you kind of want them to lose, but there's also a level on which, like, or rather, you know they kind of have to lose. But you don't really want them to, because for the first time in, I think, the entire show... Both of them are actually actively trying to do something good. They're doing it in a dumb way. But they're actually trying. As they do all things. But I they're actually trying, and I, I really like that both the show both like emphasizes that Toga and Sayonji's bond is probably the least screwed up like attachment that either of them has to anyone. But yeah, I guess I relatively speaking. Yeah, and the and the fact that like toward the end there they both kind of after being just different flavors of entitled scumbag but very much entitled scumbags right toward the end of the show they both have a moment of like we need to try and be heroes this one time and it doesn't work out for them but i i really appreciate stories that kind of um flip that coin sometimes they literally become jojo characters it's like they have their the whole jojo character motivation arc <laughs> and they have to let their speech while they while they pose weirdly and uh, to no one in particular <laughs> for each other. Also, one advantage of it is that like the two of them are messy bitches who live for drama, and they just accentuate that in each other, which is also fun to watch. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's like when they when they ultimately you know try to do something good. Like at that point, especially, we're well aware that like it's not good for Utna. Like we know nothing is gonna good. It's gonna come from Utena, quote unquote, meeting her prince, and so they are doing something that like would, in the grand scheme of things, be like a good thing. But they're still working within the system of trying to be princes, um, which it's like, I, I think it's Sayonji and, and Toga. Sayonji in particular, I really hate, hated him the first time I watched, and I I don't he, I don't like him in the same way I like other characters. But I do find him very interesting in the way he in particular, and Toga, but Sayonji is really interesting in the way like 
masculinity and like expect expectations of like quote-unquote princeliness like really do like break boys and men too but the stakes are just different you know if for Anthe to not play her part you know the stakes are much more dire for her than for Seonji but it's still just as damaging a system and so I, I I've come to appreciate him and Toga more on, on my second rewatch and I'm sure I will even more on this third rewatch as like the kind of function they serve in the story and like showing that like the stakes are different, but they are just as much like broken by this system as everyone else. But they also have as they have more to gain than Anthe does or Rutina does by staying yeah. in. Yeah. I do also like the this is maybe me adding a little bit of headcanon to this, but I do like the fact that in that last little vibe, you get the sense that maybe some of their impression or some of their obsession rather with taking this role is not just their entitlement, but the fact that both of them probably did at some point in their lives have actual ambitions to be this kind of strong, heroic, princely character, because that's a narrative boys and men grow up with. This is like the ideal. And they're both examples of like what happens when that rots on the vine, but also for like this brief, stupid moment, they almost manage it. They had one shot. <laughs> <laughs> but of course it can't work because it is built on yeah a false understanding of the world like even even if they were to like they are in that moment trying to be what this should be what it should be cannot really work can't exist they can't they because don't, have, the princess they don't have a way out yeah yeah well their problem is that they're trying to dismantle the system from within the system but as we all know the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house so it's just not going to work out for them and it's why initially doesn't really work out for anthe even in her like small rebellions against akio like she still is until like until the very end literally she is just sort of accepting the premise that Akio has has set out for everyone and it's not until Utsuna opens the coffin door that she can really understand that there is another way that there is another existence that she could be living exactly yeah that just like kind of plays into I think my favorite symbolism of the whole show which is this idea of like thresholds or doors Yes. which are obviously so huge throughout. And that was something that stood out to me when we watched the first episode again mm -hmm. this time was just like this focus on light spilling through like these archways everywhere. I just love, it's just part of, I think like the visual storytelling of the show. Like we uh, talk so much about like symbolism in terms of like the actions that are occurring on screen. But I think so like visuals and like actual symbol symbols are also so huge. Like the yes. cars and that final arc, like the symbol of, it's like the ultimate symbol of, adolescence which i mean obviously comes into play in adolescence of utena which he literally becomes a car it becomes very on the nose uh, but like just these like giant jutting out symbols of like becoming sex like uh, like a sort of sexual awakening or whatever you want to refer to it as like crossing crossing that threshold um it's just like another reason i love the show so much is because it's not only like intellectually engaging but also ooh pretty i love it yeah, like, that's part of it is that the metaphors in Usna are really not that subtle. Like, if you just look at what is happening, like, 
once you really understand what's going on and you kind of just have to watch the whole thing to really do that the like it's all spelled out for you in a lot of ways and i feel like utsuna gets this reputation of being like so hard to understand but it's really i don't know you just kind of have to be looking and be willing to open yourself up to something that is expressed in a way that you're not used to for sure yeah i mean that's something i think about in terms of like comparing it to like evangelion which i think people like to for whatever because they're both in the 90s like these highly symbolic shows but to me evangelion is like the symbolism is trying to tell you something about maybe like a character's like internal sort of i don't know like to me utena is like trying to express really really big ideas to yes and its symbols whereas evangelion is maybe a little more like uh, surreal to be surreal um however you want to take that i think that if i had to say why people connect the two it's probably less that they're using symbolism in the exact same way because they're not like this mm-hmm. is a very different as much as i joke constantly with my wife about evangelion or not even about uh, utena being a giant robot anime <laughs> This is not even the same genre. They don't have the same conventions. They aren't playing with the same tropes. But they do both kind of hit on this idea of the emotional landscape of the show is as important or to some extent more important than the literal actions the characters are taking. Like, Eva may have, like, way more hard sci-fi or... Not even hard sci-fi, like, sci-fi world building going on than Utna does, but they're both kind of operating on that level of like, you know, at the end of the day, you can write up like what all the angels are and who Sele <laughs> is and all of that stuff. But the important part is more about what do these things represent about the state of the world and how do they relate to the characters? And with Utna, there's there's something similar going on because it is using symbolism to comment on like larger themes about society, but it's still ultimately a story about like, these are very specific people who are trapped in it and who have to grapple with those themes. Right, for sure. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I watched Utena probably around the same time as Madoka Magica, mm. which is a show I do enjoy, but I think comparing the two, um, I feel like Utena like approaches this idea of, like we said, Madoka, it's like all girls become witches at some point for Utena. It's all girls are rose brides. I think Utena handles this uh, subject matter and uh, with a lot more depth to me. And maybe that's just because it's three times as long and so it can afford to do that. But also I just think Utena, that's what makes Utena so special. It feels like it grapples with these huge ideas that one, some shows don't even try to tackle. And two, when they do try to tackle them, they feel very exploitative or they feel, you kind of feel icky watching it happen. Whereas with Utena, it's kind of like holding your hand through it. Like, yeah, this is a tough thing to watch right now, but we need to like, it's like, I don't know, almost like an intervention. Like we need to talk about this. Like this is something we all as people need to watch and address. Yeah. When I talk about this show, like with getting people I know to watch it, you know, I do preface it with like, yeah, there's some like really heavy shit in the show, but it's, I, I think it's a deeply empathetic show. And and I think that a lot of that empathy comes from these, like how fantastic the characters are and how deeply they're explored. And it makes the, the heavy shit like hit harder, um, but it never feels like, like for shock value it never feels it, like it feels explored and and all on theme with what the show is about so when those things happen like you know you you know it's part of the story and that this is these are necessary things and that these add depth to the story and add depth to these characters and i i just the characterization on the show is so fantastic and particularly because 
what I love about the way all these characters are written. You know, we as people, like, we rarely do things just for one reason. Like, you know, if you like, if you were like really pressed, um, you know, why you do the things you do and why you behave the way you behave, it's really complicated. It's a lot of factors. And I love that Utina so much is left unsaid about these characters. And that's what makes this show like so like such an endless source for discussion and discourse and podcasting because I'm, I'm you know, I'm so excited when we eventually get to the first jury episode because we talk about, you know, like, okay, what to jury, what is a miracle? You know, that could, you know, it's not, there's room for interpretation and room for like picking apart these characters because, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, explicitly say jury does this because X because of Y, you know, we learn these things about these characters and the things going on in their lives, but they feel like real people because we feel like we can't fully know them. And that just makes it so interesting to me. Yeah, uh, in on your podcast, one of the things you mentioned was uh, talking about Utna and like like as art being a mirror. And mm. I really find that to be like the universal experience of Utna is like what you will get out of Utna depends on what you bring to Utna. And a lot of times what you are bringing to Utna is not necessarily what you realize you are bringing to Utna. <laughs> Utna has a way of bringing things out of people that they may not have thought of or felt like or realized that they felt before. For sure. And also, if you're like me and you're very gay, you come into it and then you get a lot of gay back, reflected back at you. And that's what I <laughs> exactly. also <laughs> Exactly. I mean, and that's very, again, very on theme with what the way the show func functions. I love the way that these characters function as like an endless hall of mirrors for each other. Like everyone's constantly projecting off their own insecurities and desires onto other people. Um, you know, the way Jury and Utina function as, as mirrors for each other. It's just, that's part of, I, mean, I love Jerry because she's cool and scary and gay. To quote a YouTube comment <laughs> I saw one time. I love her for all those reasons, but I also love her for the function she serves in the story as this like brilliant mirror image of Utina. And it's in the, in the structurally in the show, there's lots of scenes where they're like literally mirrored. I think the first time they meet, you know, they're in um, both looking out a window and it's like the, like the building is like one side of the building, she's on the other. And it's like literally a mirror image the way they meet and I just I'm so into that shit so like I'm, I'm really interested in like the way what you bring to a text but also like looking at the text itself the way these characters function as mirrors for each other yeah I think jury is sort of what and like someone who has not watched Utena would probably expect out of Utena as a character if they just saw like a picture of her and the basic premise of the show that she wants to be a prince like jury is the type of character that you would associate with that concept if if this were this is maybe me taking off a little bit more than i can chew but <laughs> fuck it here we are <laughs> if utna had been made as a hollywood movie or even a miniseries around the same period jury is the kind of stock character actor who would be put in the lead role? That's kind of the box they'd want to shove that kind of character into. Yeah, because she's like tough and aloof. Um, and I think that that was the thing that did surprise me about Utena when I watched the show is like she's very naive and like, again, not very smart. <laughs> There's this idea of like, it's very much like the Hollywood conception of the tomboy, especially in like that period of filmmaking was kind of rigid and built around this idea of this character needs to de-emphasize her feminine traits as much as possible. And as much as Utna, like, 
does do a lot of stuff that's like you know traditionally more masculine maybe like play sports ball and have the boy uniform a lot of her defining traits just the ones that are gendered maybe shouldn't be are gender masculine maybe shouldn't be and she has a lot of you know personality traits that are kind of stereotypically like perceived as feminine you know there is a level of like you could see a version of this story that was a more traditional sort of like romance story that doesn't play with gender as much where Utna is just this uh, young, naive, you know, blushing heroine because she does have all those qualities. It's just, they're expressed in a very different way than you'd expect them to be. Right. Yeah. That's the thing about like Utna and like as the show and the character, like there, it's nothing about it is shallow ever. It's never just the stock character. It's never just, oh, Nanami's just the little girl, the little sister who is obsessed with her big brother. It's always more than that, um, and which is what makes it so fantastic to this day. Yeah, for example, you meet Juri and you think she's cool and tough, and then you learn she's like extremely pathetic and sad, <laughs> which I love, yeah. and just totally overcompensating. I just, I'm obsessed with her. I'm obsessed cool with again. her and Shiori. They're, uh, I'm obsessed with that dynamic and how messed up it is and how pathetic jury is and yeah you meet her and you think she's tough cool and aloof and then now it's just projecting and it's just a defense mechanism alice uh well what did you say oh it's like then you realize that she is um sad and a little pathetic and you're right but that makes her just cool again but in a different way (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly yeah that's what the characters become like they start out thinking they're all really cool but then they actually become cool when they all allow themselves to like just be completely deconstructed, get swords pulled out of them. Like they have to go through the ringer to actually really become truly, genuinely cool. Um, <laughs> even though we all thought they were cool the whole time, now they know they're cool too. You are all picture of Sayonji, not you, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very that. So I know, Derek, you said that your favorite arc is the Black Rose arc. Absolutely. Oh, thank yeah. God. Yes. Um, it's that's, the best one. I, yeah, that's, I think, I've rewatched, like, Iwakuba Flourishing, I believe is the name of the episode. Best um, duel. Absolutely. Stunning animation, but also just, like, whenever I think of Utena, like, outside of, like, certain visuals, to me, I always, always go back to the motofukai the elevator scene like that to me is like what an evocative strange scary like thing that you like every episode of the black rose saga you like are scared you're like it's like a horror movie almost as you go down that hallway like pointing you down into the depths of hell like you know you're gonna have to go through it every episode and it's terrifying and it's terrifying for the characters too but i think that's just what i love so much about it but especially those last two episodes of the arc um, specifically Nemero Memorial Hall, um, which is like the flashback episode, is just like a fantastic, insane, beautiful piece of art. And those damn pointing hands everywhere and the cats, like I just could watch that episode a million times over again. Uh, just love, love, love the Black Rose Saga so much. And now uh, regular listeners will have anticipated that this is the next thing I'm going to ask, but have you seen the Black Rose arc musical that came out in uh, 2019. I just watched clips from it on YouTube and I really want to watch, like literally like two days oh. ago, I was looking up about oh. the musicals. Oh, it is Extremely so good. Extremely worth it. It so looks high it. camp. I really yeah. want to watch it. It is wow. really fun. in 
incredible. I and a group of Utsuna fans all flew to Tokyo to go <gasps> see it in 2019. Whoa. I do not speak Japanese and <laughs> I uh, went and saw the musical and it was entirely in Japanese, but I've seen Utsuna a couple of times so I could kind of keep up with what was going on, even if though I had no idea what they were saying specifically and it is just oh my god it is so good like is the full thing online uh well i know the 1997 musical is on youtube and i yes, I, that I, one's I've on listened YouTube. to the music from that there are ways to get the new musicals i will i can i can hook you up okay cool because i mean I, I don't know if you heard in they the one episode we talked online, about but they're yeah. not online right now i don't think Derek and I mentioned in, in one of the episodes of our show, we discussed who from the original Broadway cast of Wicked would have been in the dub cast for Utena. <laughs> so, you and- also asked who Rachel Berry would be <laughs> in Utena, which almost, I almost regretted inviting you onto the podcast. <laughs> Look, in my defense, I barely know anything about musicals. So I was just like, Lee is a musical. Oh, that's true. No, I just hate Rachel <laughs> Berry. It's a personal vendetta. <laughs> I actually am a theater nerd if you can't tell by me always bringing up theater in, on the podcast so yes and I also I really love Wicked so I am personally very invested in your your assigning characters from Utsna and Wicked yeah I think in the coming episodes as we flesh out our cast um I think I was thinking about it today actually yes <laughs> so well, that, um yeah we'll that's there. gonna be all Chris that's all Christine I know Kristen Chenoweth is in there Idina somewhere Menzel, that's, Joel that's Gray who <laughs> Joel Gray's a legend <laughs> I'll take your word for it um <laughs> But yeah, so that's gonna be all, Christine. I can keep up with the Survivor references. Maybe I'll <laughs> I'll bring in the Fast and Furious. That'll be my thing. I'll assign who's Vin Diesel. We'll find out. How can we work Michelle Fitzgerald into this podcast from Survivor? Come <laughs> wrong. Oh, I'll, I'll find. We'll find a way. Yeah. We always will. Yeah, that's yeah. That's the best thing about Utena is you can always bring something new to it, even if that new thing is the Fast and Furious franchise. I mean. The the groundwork is already there. Like we've already got cars. Exactly. And there's a family there. There's family, yeah. See? I'm I'm sure they'd love a Corona beer. I'm sure the characters would love that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, sad nod. They would. Uh but yeah, uh if you if you like musicals, definitely the Utsuna musicals are exquisite. I am among few that do like the 1997 musical, but because it's, I like it in a bad way, not in like a good way. The new musicals are actual good. Okay, the one, this one song from the 1997 musical, the Shadow Girls song, fucking goes. So good. I listen to it like, I like throw down like in my apartment. It's so good. I think I said that in the group the uh by shelf and sterile group chat derek oh good good yeah i mean the music in general in utena and i mean oh my honestly, god yeah every, can we talk about it oh and every yes. ikuhara show i mean like you guys are talking about your kuma like hello yes freaking incredible soundtrack but yeah utena i <laughs> that was like one of the first things christine and i talked about once she finished utena which was the like dance club remix of the soundtrack utena in the club <laughs> mm-hmm. that's gonna be that's summer 2021 vibes right there is utena in the club i at my uh 
for my wedding, I had the an orchestral version of the Utsuna theme song plays <gasps> oh as I walked God. down the aisle. And my, That's beautiful. My, my, my wife indulged me in this. <laughs> That's the dream. Oh my God. I can't close. imagine anything more romantic. It was very that, good. <laughs> but oh yeah, the, the music in Utsuna is just like, uh, especially like, I mean, even the non J Caesar songs are still like everything is just a fucking bop. Mm-hmm. And the like, way this so not just the music itself, it's the way it's used and the way certain pieces return. Yes. It's so I cause on the recent rewatch, I like had like a breakdown. Like, <laughs> and Derek, I'm like, Derek, because we just watched did on the night of the ball, you know, the yes. ball episode. And when Utina rushes when when Anthe's like dra- dress is like dissolving and Utina sees that and yells Himemia and like runs to save her. It's this it plays uh the same song that plays when she pulls Anthe out of the coffin in the finale. And the same part of the song, and at, like she yells Himemia in the same way, and that just like made me like lose my mind because just like you see here that like in this moment you know Utina's playing Prince, but the and then in the finale she's finally able to see Anthe for who she truly is just a person not the rose bride not the witch and that just like that's why this show like on rewatches is so great because when you you've seen it before you hear that piece of music and you know how it comes back later oh and I love the movie the use of music in the movie is some of the best use of music in any movie period it is like the climax of that movie is like a musical the way it's scored so perfectly with the action on screen I could talk about the, the music in the movie forever like that's and like we will. Oh, I we will when we get there, Derek. <laughs> We're gonna have to do like a two part podcast for just the movie because I have so many thoughts. Yeah. I'm so ready. <laughs> I love the movie so much. The movie is kind of divisive in the fandom. Like I feel like people either really like it or just really are not like not I, I don't know if I know anybody that hates it, but it's just like they're like, mm, I'll stick to the series, thanks. But like, damn, I love the movie and I could watch it a million times and never get bored. And I feel like I have like I've definitely seen the movie way more times than I've just watched the whole series. But I mean, it's because it's easier to rewatch. Oh, my God. It's now like I now consider it one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. I just watched one of my other favorite movies I've ever seen is Mulholland Drive. And on this past Saturday, I watched Mulholland Drive for the first time since getting Utena pilled. <laughs> um, and I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about Utena <laughs> watching Mulholland Drive. Um, for uh, I won't get into my, my thoughts on Mulholland Drive. Maybe we can do a special episode where it's just me talking about Mulholland Drive for the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I adore the movie. I the first time I watched it, I kind of struggled with it a bit, and then the second time I watched, I liked it a lot, like visually and sonically, I liked it. But the second time I watched it is when I just I really read it as a direct sequel, not a retelling, and then it, everything clicked. Like these are the same Utena Nanthi as in the show, just in a different world. And then it just like I was like, oh my god, this is fucking brilliant. I have what we call like the multiverse theory where I think that each or the time loop theory is that each version of Utsuna is just like a different world that like the characters are going through these events in a different way each time in sort of a groundhog day type scenario. And then the movie is where they actually do finally break out and they can go, you know, into the real world is what they say. I've been insisting on it partially as a joke. But it's true. Based, obviously based on the Evangelion, Evangelion, Evangelion um, version of this idea, which, to be fair, has a little bit more actual, like, in-text support, especially now that apparently Part 3 is out in, in Japanese. 
of the remake. Well, you don't so. need in-text support for anything in Utena. Everything is always mm. there. <laughs> Everything <laughs> in Utena makes sense all of the time. I mean, I have been told that uh, nothing is outside of the text. <laughs> where does the text end and where does it begin? I am the text. We mm-hmm. are the text. It was The text I was the friends the we made along the way. Really and truly. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I yeah it is i think people probably go into it expecting an end of evangelion situation situation which was just directly straight up a seat like i mean it's in parallel to the last two episodes of the series but it is just like completely new stuff whereas when you start adolescence of utena you assu- like kind of as you're watching you just assume oh we're kind of like just doing a retelling of the whole show which is like a thing that happens like i mean escaflone did a similar sort of thing uh but Unlike that, though, like Utena, like like we said, as you get to the end, it's like, oh, just kidding. Like, this is very directly related to the events of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, I don't understand people who just stop at episode 39. Like, that just does not. The, you're not watching the full story if you do that. Um, the movie is very, very worthwhile and fantastic. I know you guys, neither of you has read the manga. I am... Uh... I am the Utsuna fandom's resident manga apologist, but what I will (laughs) say is that the movie manga is really good and really interesting. And uh, if you ever get the chance, like they put out a new edition of the manga in like 2018, I think. And it was like two big volumes and it had like the collected like the the series manga and then also the movie manga at the end. Oh. And I I highly recommend it. like Why? The- Okay, hold on. I was not coming on here to be sold so many items. <laughs> I'm sorry. I- I'm just I've been doing this for we've been doing this podcast for 4 years and my life has just become collecting Utsuna things well i'm just looking at my bookshelf now like sorry buddies you gotta move over because we're getting the, we, i gotta get this it comes with a little poster in it too i oh like because i've been holding off on like buying utina items other than like the ultimate utina merch on my body the tattoo uh because i'm moving in august but i'm like already thinking about like after i move it's over like, i'm gonna like buy so much stupid shit i'm like I'm, i really want to cosplay as like short-haired utina and i'm like looking at cosplay mm. it's gonna be bad <laughs> but yeah the movie manga is is good i like the regular manga but it's a little bit of a harder sell because it's just, it's very different. Jury straight. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, you know, nothing. Not perfect. my jury. <laughs> no, I am really interested to watch it because I do think the way that, that the show came and the manga came about is really interesting. The idea that like these yeah. like, were being created at the same time and there was not great communication between them always. And like there were, you know, different takes on the same story. I find that very interesting. Um, so I definitely want to read it. But yeah, I am a little sad that Jury's straight in the original manga. I know and like there's like, is it like the after the revolution? Yeah, but there's like a little more. I, I just know there's something with Jury and Shiori, but I don't. I have not read it. it obviously, I, it, after the revolution is kind of weird. Uh, okay. <laughs> we, we read it, we read it for the show, and I just I think part of the problem is is that unlike Ikuhara, who had very little oversight on what he could 
get away with in making the anime. Chiyo Saito was monitored a lot more closely by mm-hmm. like editors. And so she couldn't really like the readers of the magazine that the Utsunomango was coming out in were going to be expecting like a shoujo story. And so she was a lot more confined to what editors thought would get people to keep reading. And so the Utsuna manga doesn't really get weird, weird until like the end. And I think that when Chiho Saito went to do After the Revolution, she kind of like now that there was i i don't know if she had like carte blanche to just do whatever she wanted but like it seems like there was a lot less restriction on like what kind of content could be in it i think she was trying to just sort of go wild and do some of the stuff that she probably wished that she could have in utsuna the series but i don't know that it all necessarily works in the way that it was executed (laughs) Gotcha. Which is unfortunate because the art is very good because she's just a master mangaka. Oh, she's good. Like, she's she's always been good. Like, looking back, it's kind of amazing that some things even got made during that era. Like, I still don't know how Rose of Versailles got made and, <laughs> and the era that it did. Because um, specifically shoujo stuff was at the time just really, 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 really restricted. Like, editors breathing down your neck. Everything has to be run through a board of, like, five people to be absolutely sure that it's uh, say-so as possible. Well, much as I love Rose of Versailles, it is also a little more conventional than you would probably expect. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's the real answer is probably that's why that a lot of it is sort of... There's always a, but don't worry, this is totally fine at the end of it, recontextualizing anything that might be yeah. unconventional there. Not that it always works, <laughs> <laughs> because occasionally it just makes it weirder or gayer, but <laughs> the say-so police strike. Well, we are getting, we, we've done about an hour, and I I know that being that it is Utsuno, we could probably talk for literally forever. <laughs> but I, I will not bind you to your microphones <laughs> for too much longer. Is there anything else that you guys would like to talk about with regards to Revolutionary Girl Utah? Derek, do you have anything I need to think? Oh, um, well, I mean, I feel like we kind of, I feel like we've talked about some of the stuff I was interested in talking about that I know we won't be able to get to very soon in our watch through. I guess just other than the fact that the show is super important i i'm always saying this but every gay person on the planet should watch the show i declare it if i ever have that power and i will i'm gonna like you have to watch this show um just because it is very affirming in a lot of ways it's and i also feel this way about yuri kuma mm-hmm. <laughs> strangely enough like there's just things in ikuhara's work even i don't really know his full story in terms of his sexuality or whatever um but I, it just it's weird that there's these like weird little anime that like only really cool people know about and they speak so clearly and concisely to what it feels like to be a gay person, um, at least in my experience. And so I just, my final thoughts on Utene is thank you for existing. I love you. And I am so happy I get to talk about you with cool people. 
Yeah, I I feel similarly. I mean, the reason the show like really moved me on like a fundamental level, like I <laughs> I saw my therapist for the first time in a few months, like a couple weeks ago, we did like virtual therapy and I was was like telling her all about Utena and the way it like helped me because it really did help me, Um, you know, with the more like directly queer themes, especially towards the end of the show. Like I, I know something I DM'd Derek a lot as I was watching it. it was like, holy shit, I didn't expect this like themes around, you know, like compulsory heterosexuality and how hard it is to like escape this like even you know i've been out for so long and it's still like fucking hard to unlearn that shit it's so hard to unlearn you know the the things you grow up to believe are quote-unquote normal and the things you are you know i also grew up i went to like a christian school growing up and like it, it definitely helped me kind of like reckon with the kind of think about my own coming out and my own adolescence but just on a broader level the show and just really like speaks to like how hard it is to like see people other people as real people and not see them as like who you want them to be i mean and that's the ultimate conclusion of the show is that you know utina's heroic moment at the end is seeing anthe as a per- person and opening the coffin and seeing her for who she is and that's the most beautiful act of kindness she can do is see her as a person and it's really made me reflect on like my own relationships with people and be like god was I re- like, you know, how much have I projected onto people what I wanted them to be? And, you know, how much of my anger towards people was just because they didn't live up to the ideal I had in my mind. And it's just, yeah, it's it's caused me to like look at my own life differently. And I'm really grateful for that. And like, I think, I think about like, God, if I'd watched this when I was like 16, it would have changed my life in a lot of ways. But I also think I might not have been ready for it. And at this point in my life, I think I am like, I am ready to kind of like reckon with my own adolescence and the way I've grown up and the way I view the world. And it it, it had a profound impact on me and I'm very grateful for it. Hell yeah. That was going to be what I said was hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And also jury is cool. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that is great. What were you going to say, Derek? I was just going to say thank you for having us on here. Yeah, thank you for Um, reaching out. Oh, yes. Uh, I was there. I, I don't know if uh, in your your fledgling Usna podcasting that you have come across the website Empty Movement, but the mm. the person who runs Empty Movement, Vana, who is a frequent character on this podcast, alerted me to the existence of your podcast, and my that was my first thought was hey you guys want to come on our podcast (laughs) that's so sick yeah i'm in the anti-movement discord um and that's where i like it's i call it like the utsuna hive mind where i like i go whenever i have a thought i just really truly discord and like i get like 50 geniuses talking to me (laughs) and also if you guys are ever looking for people to come on your podcast that is a resource because mm-hmm. there is anyone you could possibly imagine to talk about any topic relating to Usna in the Empty Movement Discord. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I followed Empty Movement on Tumblr way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, wow. Whew, that's another thing about Utsuna is just unearthing Tumblr memories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys for coming on the show. This has yeah, been great. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. No, it's great so having fun. you on. And th- yeah. I I anticipate that this will not be the last time that we talk to you guys in some capacity. So, listeners, if you would like to follow this show on Twitter, you can do that at UtenaCast. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Mpandanata. Alice, where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter at LyreWolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-O-F, um, and only there. Uh, Cass, where can people find, well, not you, but the podcast that you do with your lovely wife, Alice? Of course. 
Do you, listener, enjoy giant robots <laughs> as much as you enjoy anime about giant romance robots. and the universal human condition? Well, you might be interested in Big Steppy, Alice and I's Real Robot Podcast. Uh, you can find it at SteppyCast on Twitter and wherever fine podcasts are sold. And uh, uh, Derek? We don't sell it. <laughs> <laughs> and Derek and Christine, where can you guys be found online? Uh, well, you can find us, uh, the two of us, at Shadow Play Gaze on Twitter. Uh, I also have another pod- podcast with my friend Sam uh, called Bitter Jurors. We started as a Survivor podcast. Now we're t- we talked about Avatar The Last Airbender. Now we're talking about Korra. And so that's at Bitter Jurors Pod on Twitter. But you can find me at Rain Derex, R-E-I-N-D-E-E-R-E-K-S on Twitter, where I surely, I just like, fire any stupid thought I have off into ether. And I'm sure at least one of them will be Utena. So yeah, you can follow me there if you want. And for me, you can follow me at at xteen underscore files on Twitter. And if you do like the reality television program Survivor, I write about it for insidesurvivor.com. So if you look look at Inside Survivor and look at my name, Christine Palin, you can read the many articles I've written about it there. So if there's any Utena Survivor crossover, A, if any of you like Utena and Survivor, come on our podcast. B, uh, (laughs) uh, read my writing. So yeah, that's it for me. I would be very interested to hear a conversation about Utena and Survivor, and I have no idea how that would work out. I actually, so this is an exclusive today. <laughs> There's this website called Brant Steel where you can mm. run simulations of Survivor seasons. So like you can like just like run through it and it'll like, you'll get different winners every time. But you can put in, you can take like the format of real seasons of Survivor and put in anyone you want. And this afternoon at lunch, I did a Utena simulation and I ran the whole thing and in a couple months once we get further in the show i'm gonna live post it and narrate it as if it's a real season and it was so funny (laughs) oh my gosh that is that is really good i cannot wait for that won't spoil who wins but it's everything that happens is like extremely on character it was like very uncanny (laughs) yeah i on the edge of my seat I only have seen the boot order and I'm already fully, fully convinced that this is just an actual thing that happened in real life. (laughs) All right. Well, listeners, uh, you can get in contact with us at imagineandyutena at gmail.com. Or if you check out our pinned tweet on Twitter, there is a link to a Google form where you can express interest in coming on this podcast. It doesn't have to be talking about Utena. It can be about any ikuhara property because this is just my life now so (laughs) you can do that there or we have a patreon which is now i've got a url it's at utinacast.com and that is how you can support the show which is one place that you can get the akio otori haters club pins that (laughs) i am so very proud of and i love very much so that brings us to the end and revolutionize the world everybody See you later. With style. Mm, And heroically.